0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Drew. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at Third, and I'm rarely up— Front on stage here, I tend to be building communities or relationships, especially around tables. Um, This is actually my second sermon; my first being the one about an hour ago. Um, (laughs) So, thank you for the opportunity to share God's word with you today. This summer, we've been looking at themes of food and feasting throughout the Bible. We've looked at different ways that God is uh, nourishing us, providing us opportunities to come and taste and see, to see. The kind of God that he is, the kingdom that he has, and the kind of people we are invited to become. The reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, and I think it's helpful to have the whole context in front of you. So if you want to grab a a pew Bible or pull out an app on your phone, um, that would be helpful. Um, But first, let let me pray, and then we're going to watch Casey Henderson read us the word of God. Father, may I become lesser and you become greater. Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see what you may have for each of us this morning as we encounter the life, words, and invitation of your Son, Jesus. Amen.
1: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 14, 12 through 24. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go to see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So that my house will be full, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Have you ever been invited to something that you didn't really want to go to, but you RSVP'd yes anyway, knowing full well that you're going to cancel, or you RSVP'd yes, and then maybe a better opportunity came around, so you bailed on the original? Or on the flip side, have you ever felt out of the loop? You uh, heard some folks laughing and realized it was an inside joke from a group text thread that you're not on, or friends went away for a weekend or had a party and you only found out after the fact. Now, these different scenarios bring up different emotions, but one thing is true. Whether you accept or not or go or not, we all like to be invited. Introverts and extroverts, we all like to be included. An invitation means that someone has thought of us and desires to be with us. Our scripture today has Jesus at a dinner gathering on the Sabbath with the religious elite, and just before our our reading, the same group of people who are sitting around the table with Jesus have scorned a diseased man, caring far more for their religious piety than his poor estate. The parable is how Jesus responds to them, and it raises two questions. Who is invited into the kingdom of God, and who are the kinds of people who accept God's invitation? Since this is also the only parable of our summer series, we could also ask, what are parables? Why does Jesus teach them? Parables are tricky. They're, not, uh, they're, they're stories with purpose, but they're not quite moral tales. They are... Um, Not real history, they're not straightforward allegories, but they're meaningful metaphors. They're fairly simple stories from daily life, and yet they're often very difficult to grasp, almost as if purposely designed to be confusing. In Matthew's gospel, after a particularly confusing parable, the disciples finally just asked Jesus, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not them. And again, when the disciples are asking about the parable of the sower, Jesus responds with even more mysterious phrase, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's as if Jesus has someone with perfect pitch in mind. They can hear things that the rest of us or others can't, so it's as if you are attuned to the key of the kingdom, you can hear the music of heaven. Parables reveal what the kingdom is like, not how to become good people. The gospel is not if you become a good person, then you go to a good place when you die. Tim Mackey, who is a favorite Bible teacher of mine, says the problem with that version of the gospel is the Bible. <laughs> it's... This false gospel is neither good news or a good story. What is the gospel that Jesus proclaims? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's far more intriguing. What, what does it mean? What is repentance? Repent to whom? It implies relationship and yet relational brokenness. And what is this kingdom? Dallas Willard likes to say that the kingdom is present wherever what God wants done is done. But by whom? How? Like casting a line and luring in a fish, Jesus is always drawing people to himself. He's drawing them in, up into this greater story. But he rarely just gives us the answer. I find that comforting. Mature faith is often presented as having all the answers, that all your doubts are gone. But Jesus shows that an authentic faith is about relationship, trust, and honest seeking. Parables endeavor to invite the listener to be curious, even when they critique. In some, parables are not moral tales. They are invitations to glimpse the kingdom. They're not meant to change our behavior nearly so much as they are to enlarge our imagination. Parables are invitations that illuminate. They are not direct answers. They invite us to listen, to lean in, to seek. They invite us into mystery, much like Jesus himself. Now, let's take a look at the context of this parable in Luke 14. He's at the home of this religious leader for the Sabbath meal. It's not a friendly meal. He's being watched closely. And he heals this man with dropsy, which was not permitted on the Sabbath, this is met with a lot of side-eye and judgment. But Jesus is also watching them too. He's noticing that they're jockeying for the best seats at the table, that they're seeking places of honor to be seen with the right people at this party. So he begins to talk to them about the way of the kingdom and who might be on God's guest list. So he says, don't invite people who are, can return social favors. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. This is the upside down way of the kingdom. You will be ex- if you do not seek honor, you will be exalted. And when you host a dinner, don't invite people that can host one back for you. That's a blessed kingdom party. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus, a man responds to Jesus's story. But this man misses the point. He thinks that he has done what Jesus has said, that he counts himself as one who is blessed. So Jesus tells the parable to drive home the point, but he does not know the difference between who is in and out of the kingdom. He's trying to expand their imagination. So let's turn to today's parable. There's a, large ma- or there's a great man hosting a large gathering. He may have been large, we don't know. And he sends out invitations. Meals like this were often markers of social and religious status. So who you invited mattered. And in the ancient world, the invitation system didn't work like today. There was no paperless posts or evites to send out to track everything perfectly. No, he invites, the host sends his servants out. People send back RSVPs in order to get a headcount, in order to know how much food to make, how many animals to slaughter. It was very costly. and required lots of preparation. Then on the eve of the party, he would send out folks to say, hey, the party's ready, uh, please come. And so uh, the, on the day of the feast, it came, the servants told everyone, but then all of the guests bailed. Now, how would you feel if you were hosting a dinner and you received dozens of RSVPs, you've cleaned your house, you've bought and cooked food, you've got a sitter, you're all ready, and then that day you receive dozens of texts saying, sorry, can't make it. It's a punch in the gut. So many emotions would arise. Disappointment, anger, uh, shame perhaps. Did all my friends just reject me? You might wonder why. The guests in the story send their words of excuses. They, some bought land that needed expecting. Some bought animals that needed tending to. Others just got married and used their spouse to get out of a party, something I'm sure none of you would ever do. But notice that their excuses all require certain kinds of Privilege or power or status to buy land, to make investments, to get married. They were people of means. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just clear that they prioritize their things over this party. Now, Jesus is having fun with his listeners. These excuses are ridiculous. Who buys land and then immediately needs to go see it? Who buys a bunch of oxen and then immediately needs to go use them. And who forgets they're getting married? Like, these are the equivalent of someone saying that they uh, just need to wash their hair when you ask them out. They just don't want to go out with you. Now, one might argue, Drew, these are legit excuses. Work, household projects, quality time with a spouse or my kids... That's a good reason to turn down an impromptu party, right? So Jesus could be sounding slightly judgmental here. The tone of Jesus is one of his qualities that intrigues me most. I I struggle with my tone. I'm blunt and overly critical when I don't mean to be. But Jesus seems to be able to perfectly respond to people speaking hard truths with genuine love. How does our host respond to these excuses? With anger. Wouldn't you? In response to rejection, he sends his servants out to go invite others. Go by the streets and the alleys of the city. Go far away to the country roads and lane. Invite the people on the margins, society's outliers and outcasts those who are not entitled or self-sufficient, those in need, those who may enjoy a good party. The host invites the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame, the very people that Jesus had mentioned earlier. These new party guests accept the invitation as if it was an unexpected and unearned gift. Now, check out verse 23. Compel them to come. Odd. Odd phrase. Does this mean they were forced to come? Or perhaps they did not think that they were worthy of such an invitation. Unlike the religious leaders who were vying for the best seats in the house because they thought they were worried, these guests had to be compelled to come, to sit in places of honor. Now, why did the host do this? The text tells us so that my house will be full. Now I should note, parts of parables are not neat solutions. They don't perfectly reflect the ways of God. They're not direct analogies. They raise questions. Why didn't he invite the poor people to begin with? Was he just concerned with his own honor? Was his pride hurt and he invited people who couldn't refuse? Perhaps more than a desire for a full house, he feared empty tables. We don't know. But scripture can handle our suspicions. God is not offended by your questioning. So, parables don't dictate behavior, but with kingdom attuned ears, they can shape our imaginations. And sometimes all we can do is try to take one step in the right direction, even if that des- the destination is unclear. For me, one step is to try to host meals that include uh, bring all different kinds of people together. Uh, For one example, every June, I try to throw a big dinner party. And the basic idea of this party is to gather a diverse array of friends from all different social circles in order to create the possibility of new relationships around a joyful meal. On a deeper level, my my hope is that the intentionality towards each guest mirrors the hospitality of God, and perhaps sparks their imagination for a bigger kingdom. This past June, someone remarked that the decor reminded them of a wedding. So imagine 50 or so guests, burlap tablecloths and magnolia centerpieces, candles, the whole thing, and under a big tree that I had hung dozens of glass orbs and tree lights. So it was a, or tea lights, there's the word. Uh, the, the The wedding imagery was on purpose because weddings are one of the few places in our culture that we try to recreate the heavenly feast. But we rarely get to go to weddings, and as a single person, I want to create glimpses of the kingdom that are accessible to all. Now, my party fails to live up to its own vision but I'll keep trying because I truly do believe that one of the greatest apologetics of the gospel today is for us to become people who know how to throw a good party with loving intentionality and a guest list shaped by kingdom imagination. What might that look like in your life? So during the week or so leading up to the party and the original invite list is set, I begin to pray and ask God, give me eyes and ears to see people that I may want to invite to this party, random people that I encounter or friends of friends are added. Um, And I ran into a friend and invited him and he said he and his wife would love to come. The day of the party came and just like the parable, I got a text saying, thanks for the invite, won't be able to make it, we're going to see Top Gun." Now, Maverick is a fun flick. Tom Cruise is ageless. Uh, the, it's got old school vibes and limited CGI. It's classic. Go check it out. But a few days later, this same guy saw some social media posts of that party, and I got another text saying, Was that the party we missed? Now, it wasn't that going to see a movie was a bad idea or that it was a bad excuse to duck out of a party. He just didn't know what he was saying no to. Now, my point is not go host good parties that we should. It's that many of us are wrapped up in our own imaginations for the good life that we miss out on God's kingdom vision. Thinking we are blessed, we miss out on life that is truly life. God has invited us into a shared way of life, into a loving and royal family, one that may include people that we, sinfully, don't think make the cut. Our imaginations need to be transformed. We don't always recognize the gifts God desires to give us as gifts, and so we offer our excuses. In the story, the first group rejected the invitation, perhaps because they thought they were so too important. They didn't know what they were missing. Their problem wasn't that they were busy or that they chose evil options. It was their true problem was that they didn't prioritize the host's sacrifice or have the humility to receive the invitation as a gift. They were entitled. The second group had to be compelled to come because they didn't consider themselves important enough. But they didn't know the extent of their host's grace. Perhaps you resonate with them. You may feel shame when you encounter God's invitation to be with him, feeling unworthy of love. But friends, we are not loved by God because we deserve a seat at his table. We are loved by God because of the quality of our host. God has made the ultimate sacrifice so the feast can occur, so that you and I can go. Jesus is the living invitation into life with God, and our role is simply to respond to that invitation of grace and to become the kind of people that extend graceful invitations to others. To do so, we must first acknowledge our own brokenness, that we are poor, lame, crippled by sin, and blind to our own judgmental hearts. God's imagination is different than ours. He rejects religious elitism and social divides. He longs for full tables and right relationships. So the people of means who were invited to the party were too busy to join. So the offer was extended to people on the margins, to those on society that society thinks are unclean, unworthy, broken, broke, or dull, and thus revealing Jesus' heart. The one whose society rejects is welcome at the table. The exalted are humbled, and the humble are exalted. There's a beautiful poetic justice to the way of the kingdom. Now, a favorite poet of mine, Christian Wyman, likes to say that wonder is the precondition to all wisdom. So I wonder what it might look like for Third Church to be an invitational church. I wonder whose life... Might be transformed by a simple invitation to lunch after service, or maybe to a good party. Or I wonder what it might look like for us to make space at our tables for people who inconvenience us or challenge us. What do kingdom attuned ears hear in our world today? I don't have the answers. This will look differently for different people in different seasons. But I do believe we should ask ourselves uncomfortable questions. Ask God to give you eyes to see. He may be sending you out to seek out someone on the streets or country lanes of your life to extend to them that graceful invitation. I invite us all to become living parables, not answers, but invitations, pointing people to Jesus, for his invitations are always a plus one. He says, go and make disciples. Welcome others to the feast. Now, I began this sermon with two questions. Who is invited into the kingdom of God? And who are the kinds of people who accept God's invitation? To the first question, everyone, rich or poor, healthy or sick, city or counties, all are invited. And to the second who accept the invite, the kind of people who acknowledge their need, who recognize what they're missing, who are humble and are willing to receive the gift. We all desire to be invited, to be included. It speaks to our deep longing to belong. And this whole summer series has been about the God who nourishes us, the God who is indeed a God of feasts. The kingdom is a kingdom of full tables, Where there is joy and joy everlasting. But it's not just because there's good times, laughter, good people, and plenty of food and drink. Because we all know that parties disappoint, that our motivations can be self serving or self seeking, that laughter can turn to sorrow and heartache, that our relationship with food and drink is not always healthy or joyful. that people fail us. Our world is still broken. Now, the man at the beginning of this parable is right. Blessed are those who will feast in the kingdom. But the tragic irony is this man has no idea that that king of the kingdom is right in front of him, that he is dining with the king of kings, that he is, in front of, he is in front of the answer to Israel's years of longing. But he does not have eyes to see. And Jesus doesn't simply reveal himself and give him the answer. He tells them a story. Until we have faces, C.S. Lewis has a great line. I now know, Lord, why you utter no answer, for you yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions die away. Friends, this parable is an invitation to see the world and ourselves as God does. And ultimately, the invitation to the kingdom life isn't an invitation to a weekly church service or even to a good party. It's an invitation into the presence of your creator, the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who heals you. It is in him that all things are held together and made new. It is in the presence of Jesus alone that nourishes your soul. He is the bread of heaven, the living water, the lamb that was slain. He is the feast. And that Jesus invites us all to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, he's calling us to say, turn, pay attention. I am here. The rule and reign of God who makes all things new is right here. I'm standing in front of you if you would have eyes to see. I will restore the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. The party has started and you are invited. You're invited to turn from your busy, tired, anxious lives to live the blessed, free life with God. For others, for his glory. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is indeed near. Jesus is the feast. Come, taste, and see. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we so often reject your presence, choosing other things that will never satisfy. So, Holy Spirit, transform our hearts. Help us see a great need for you, to taste your goodness and to receive all that you have for us. For just as our bodies need food, so our souls need you. Give us eyes to see the world in need, not counting ourselves better than, but as fellow guests in the kingdom of God's grace. Amen.